Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. And Grant, I have a mathematical riddle for you. Yes, please. There are 30 cows and 28 chickens. How many didn't? 30 cows and 28 chickens. How many didn't? 28 chickens. <laughs> 10. Oh, good. That's good. That took me <laughs> forever. Nice. Right. 30 cows and 28 chickens. That is, the cows ate the chickens. So not it sounds 20. like the number yeah. 28 projects something 20. Yeah. A-T-E. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's a tough good. one, right? Yeah, it's great. Yeah, you have to try that one out on your kid. I will totally get that. He'll crack <laughs> up. That's just his kind of thing. He loves it. Words have more than one meaning. It's strange. <laughs> yeah. And that's and, funny. Yes, and we love talking about that kind of thing on the show. So call us, 877-929-9673, or send your stories about language to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, I'm Karen. And I'm calling from Denton, Texas. Hi, Karen. And Welcome. Hi. What can we help you with? I had an, an idea. I was just thinking to myself um, about, uh, I was thinking about my financial plans. And I was thinking, well, you don't really have any and you don't have any structure and you're just flying by the seat of your pants. Mm-hmm. And so that's the phrase that I was curious about where that came from, because to me it means... Um, it means that uh, I don't uh, I don't have any structure, or there's we just take things as they come instead of planning. No mm-hmm. plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it. Flying by the seat of your pants goes back to the 1930s when there were no instruments in aircraft. So a oh. pilot, if the clouds were thick and they couldn't uh-huh. see the horizon, they'd literally uh-huh. literally have to wing it. And they could feel by the vibrations of the plane and what was happening with the different moving parts and just kind of like their natural sense of where up and down were, which is, by the way, in most people, terrible when you can't see the horizon. Mm, yeah. Um, right. And they'd have to just fly literally by the seat of their pants by feeling the vibrations of the plane come up through their bum. So there we go. You, uh, you're using a, a flying terminology and you didn't know it. I didn't know it. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Karen. Thank you. Take care now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Like I said, winging it is yeah, a similar thing. Yeah. yeah, also from flying, from aviation. Yeah, but isn't right? it weird that this term that even pilots don't really need anymore entered the language with enough fastness and firmness that we still use it in standard English? Yeah, yeah, it's one of those things I never thought about. And then, then you think about flying by the seat of your pants, and if there's no airplane involved, that's that's a really <laughs> weird image. Yeah, it's right? not propellers on your britches. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that explanation. <laughs> rocket. It's not rocket-powered <laughs> pants. <laughs> Although, what a great idea. Oh, seriously, we could make a mint. <laughs> it'd, it'd be. It'd be a uh, uh, jet-propelled wedgie. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, Grant. This Hi. is Suzanne, and I'm calling from New York City. Well, welcome to the show, Suzanne. Where in New York City are you? Uh, right now, I am on Wall Street looking at the lower Manhattan helicopter pad. Oh, okay. I know, I know exactly where that is. Well, welcome <laughs> to the show, Suzanne. We're glad to talk to you. What's up? Thank you. Um... So, I don't remember exactly the context, but the other day I was having a conversation with someone and I said, 
by and large, this would happen in this situation. And then all of a sudden I thought to myself, why do we say by and large? Uh-huh. What mm-hmm. is by and large? Mm-hmm. Why does it become and large? <laughs> I mean, I understand <laughs> that by what? sort of means in the larger sense or in a yeah. bigger sense, but mm-hmm. by and large just seemed a really strange combination of words. And then it occurred to me that I have heard people say by and large, which I'm wondering is one of, if maybe that's one of those things that you guys sometimes talk about where people hear something one way and then they think it's, Supposed to be written another way. Yes, mm-hmm. so you but say, I wasn't sure. They say by e n l a r g e, as if enlarge is the word. Exactly. Oh yeah. wow! Yeah, I've heard it a few other ways. I've heard it by enlarge, b y i n l a r g e, and I've heard by at large as well. Oh really? Yeah, and actually, oh, you'll find, if you Google that. by at large, you'll find lots of hits for it. Yeah, Suzanne, I grew oh. up thinking it was by enlarge. With the E. Oh, okay. But I was wrong. I found out later that it, it has to do with sailing. It sailing? Is, yeah. It is by and large. If you're sailing large, you're sailing largely with the, with the wind at your back. Okay. Or to a little bit to one side or the other, okay. but, but coming from behind. And that's an easier way to sail. You have more um, room to maneuver and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. If you're sailing by, as I understand it, you're sailing more into the wind and there's less room for error because if you make an error when you're sailing by, when you're sailing into the wind, mm-hmm. then you can be taken aback. Literally, that's that's the origin of taken aback, that the sails go back oh, and so slap an, against the mast. That's a nautical term as well. Ex- exactly. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, but I had no idea. That's fascinating. Yeah. And it's very strange that here I am looking out over the New York Harbor where people are probably sailing by and large. Yeah, I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> so by and large together encompass everything, you know, generally, as you were saying. All the different ways that you yeah, can yeah, sail, yeah. right? The two different major yeah. strategies for yeah. getting the boat underway. Yeah. Oh, interesting. That's very interesting. Fascinating. I had absolutely no clue. Well, there oh. you go, Suzanne. And am I right about the enlarge thing? Is that just mostly people are hearing it wrong? Because yeah. I've actually yeah. seen that in print, and I think it's probably not in print when someone's edited that. I've probably just seen it in email or in a in That's an right. individual posting or, or mm-hmm. something like that. But I know I've seen it written. Yeah, the, mm-hmm. co- the correct way, and we're not at the point where any variation is worth considering, um, the correct is B-Y-A-N-D. L A R G E by three and words. large three words. Yeah. yeah. Great. Cool. Okay. Thanks, Suzanne. Well, fabulous. Thank you for enlightening me on two nautical terms at once. That All was right. great. How about that? Kiss, Multitasking. Kiss the New York City ground for me, will you? <laughs> I will. We miss you here. Thank you both. And keep keep the show going. It's one of my very favorites. Oh, oh thank thanks, you very Suzanne. much. Take we care appreciate now. Appreciate it. Bye bye. All right. Yep. Bye bye. All right, so nautical dictionary. Can we dig a deep in this stuff? Because this is crazy. There's a ton of these yeah, things, right? Yeah. Is this dangerous? It, well, it's dangerous too because we're landlubbers. Right. I mean, I'm sure that all They're the sailors are out there. Yeah, 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 right, uh, right. Dear Martha and Grant, how dare you misrepresent? <laughs> They're not even saying dear. <laughs> but um, one of my favorite terms that I dug up out of this nautical dictionary, which is related to this, yeah. um, is another expression for dead reckoning when you kind of just do mm-hmm. it by the seat of the pants. By the seat of the pants, right? yeah. It's by guess and by God. By guess. <laughs> You're sailing God. by guess and by God. Yeah, you can do your finances that way, right? And I'm thinking, way, right? you know what? That's, that's tombstone worthy. <laughs> he lived his life by guess and by God, which meant he just did his best and headed forward. <laughs>
<laughs> Love it. If you've got something that just kind of dropped out of your language, you're like, whoa, how did that get into English? Give us a call. We're the ones who can help you figure it out. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. And we're all over Facebook and Twitter. In the networking world, and by networking I mean the world in which you get internet into your home or into oh, your workplace. Oh, that networking world. In that okay. networking world, there's a term called Netflix o'clock. Do you know what Netflix o'clock is? Uh, around the clock? This is when everyone arrives home about prime time and they all fire up their Netflix to binge watch their shows and it saturates the internet or saturates the channel oh, so no you can't kidding. get... Oh, yeah. So it's, it's just, internet prime time. Yeah, internet prime time. Yeah, Netflix o'clock. So in a household, you can have Netflix O'Clock oh, when you've yeah. got three or four devices all streaming different shows oh, at the okay. same time. And you realize, um, I need to upgrade my DSL. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, you have a way with words. Good morning. This is Robert Gordon. Aloha from Hawaii, the big island. Aloha. Well, aloha. What can we help you with? Well, I had a grandmother... Granny Gordon that uh, lived in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, and also our family came from Gettysburg. It was a powerful influence on us being in Gettysburg, I think. And Granny used to say, oh, Lee's army had to skedaddle. And I found this in an old newspaper, too, as if the word skedaddle was some kind of a <laughs> insult that they had made up or something mm. to make fun of the southern troops. She also said a couple other funny things. Before a journey, she got journey proud or oh, yeah. travel proud. Ooh, yeah, we know that one. Yeah, we've talked about that one on the show before. I want to hear about that one because I never heard it from anybody else, and I get it very badly. And finally she said, oh, you're just glegged, old top. She called me old top. She said, you're just glegged. Glegged? I said, what's that, Grant? He said, oh, that's too lazy to be any good at all. <laughs> glegged? I don't know glegged. that one. She sounds like she had a bit of fire in her. Oh, she was all... Milk toast, really, inside. She oh, was, okay. Yeah, but she was she was a tough old Presbyterian lady, I guess. Yeah, you got to so watch out for those Presbyterian ladies. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's break these down as quickly as we can. Please. Uh, skedaddle's really interesting. It did appear at first during the American Civil War, 1861, is when we find it first yeah. in print in a New York newspaper to talk about soldiers retreating, and probably not a formal retreat, but more the disorganized fleeing for your life kind of retreat. Uh-huh. We do not know really? where skedaddle comes from. They're one of the best etymologists in the world. Anatoly Lieberman has put his mind to it and come up with lots of theories, none of them which hold any water. He's got page after page in his book called The Analytical Dictionary of English Etymology. And so it's a big mystery where we get skedaddle. But, yeah, it did come up during the American Civil War. To be journey proud, as we've talked about on the show, that's uh, Martha, You are, that's your domain, right? Journey yep. proud. I think proud has to do with being big or swelling or something yeah. like that. Like you can have proud skin, which is a, a, a raised part of your skin. And so if you're journey proud, you're just, just ah. bursting with... Uh, bursting with the get up and go. Yeah. Mm. Well, ah. you're, you're, it's on the night before a trip. You're, you're all packed. You're so psyched to go. Right. Um, so you're like... A, it, it's kid. kind of the opposite. In, in our family, Granny couldn't do anything for a week. She has always rechecking her lists. Me, I can't sleep for two or three nights before a trip, mm-hmm. the older I get. Mm-hmm. And it was not oh, not really a good thing, although it was a form of energy, yes, but Granny wasn't happy about it. <laughs> well, yeah, that's sort of like German Reisefieber, which is, which is, again, that agitation before a trip. 
So ich habe kein Deutsch. Nein. <laughs> <laughs> so, Robert, your other term was gelegt, G-L-E-G-E-D? Gelegged. You're just gelegged, she said. And gelegged. She, I don't know how to spell and it. And she used it in what, what condition? What, what circumstances? It was an affectionate way of her telling her grandson that he'd better get up and, and, and take out the garbage. Oh, it's just interesting. Like, like it, you know, you just know don't that. do anything. And it's true. I, I'm like Stephen Foster. I just would lay around and play music all the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's the kind of guy I am. Gleged comes up in some old dialect dictionaries in the United Kingdom from quite a while ago, but it just means oh. to look askance or to glance at or to look upon to something. Look so maybe uh, it's a dim chance that it has something to do with you just kind of standing there with your mouth agape looking like that's I don't know what it, you're doing. That's it. Okay. <laughs> I have to ask my sister about that. You just stand there look looking <laughs> cross-eyed and dull. I don't know. <laughs> I can see it. Well, I was always lost in thought, you know, someplace far away. Well, Robert, you've been a delight on this show, yeah, so we really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Take care of yourself, Brad. All right. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye. If you've got some you'd like to share or like to discuss, give us a call, 877-929-9673, or email us, words at waywardradio.org. More from the bouncy house of language as Away With Words continues. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. And who's this handsome fellow? It's John Chinesky on the line with a quiz. Hello, hey, John. John. If I'm on the line, how can you tell I'm handsome? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you know, it's been a while since we talked about the NPL. And uh, I've got a little quiz here about an NPL flat type. We talk about the flats, which are the kind of iconic puzzle that the uh, wordplay puzzles that the NPL likes to use. This is about terminal deletions. I know it sounds very... Uh, very dun-dun-dun, uh, uh, terminal final. deletions. <laughs> yeah, very final. But terminal deletions are an NPL flat style that involves taking a letter from both ends of a word to make Ooh. another word. Okay. Ooh, okay. All right, I'll, I'll give you a sentence that clues two words. One word is the other word with both first and last letters deleted. Okay? Okay. The shorter the word, the easier it is, but I'll give you the enumeration if you need it. And the first blank will always be the longer word in these examples. Okay. Oh, okay. okay, great. Here we go. It was very blank this December morning, and it's still cold, but it's clear, right, blank. Snowy and now. Snowy oh, and now. Very yes, good. Grant. Very snowy good. Now. It was very snowy this December morning, and it's still cold, but it's clear, right, now. It was a typical physical. He listened to my blank and stuck a thermometer in my blank. <laughs> <laughs> Heart, Heart and, and ear. ear. Heart and ear, yeah. It was a typical physical. He listened to my heart and stuck a thermometer in my ear. I gave the farmer's daughter a ring with an expensive blank, but she'd rather I gave her a blank or a lamb. A Stop. jewel or a you. Ah, yes, nice. a Very jewel good. or a you. Nicely done. I gave the farmer's daughter a ring with an expensive jewel, but she'd rather I gave her a you or a lamb. The blank of the dance was prim and proper, so the blank of Mary's skirt was much too high. The theme in the hymn. Yes, mm. nicely done, Martha. The theme of the dance was prim and proper, so the hem of Mary's skirt was much too high. All right. Oh, you've just got a little blank in your finger. I know it hurts, but you'll blank. Splinter? No. Sliver, Sliver and live. 
Sliver, <laughs> sliver and live. And live. Yeah. Sliver and live is correct. That's right. Oh, you've just got a little sliver in your finger. I know it hurts, but you'll live. You'll quickly become a blank among the other sopranos if you can't sing a simple operatic blank. Pariah and aria. Yes, pariah and aria. You'll quickly become a pariah among the other sopranos if you can't sing a simple operatic aria. Right. Now, in Tolkien's world, you'll find elves in the blank, while dwarves search for all kinds of blank in their minds. That's your field, Grant. Woods and... Woods and ood? <laughs> no, um... <laughs> And forests and oars. Forest and oars, yes. In Tolkien's world, you'll find elves in the forest, while dwarves search for all kinds of oars in their minds. Nice. For just a blank, I thought that everything would be okay. Then a black cat appeared, which I knew was a horrible blank. Moment and omen. Yes. For just a moment, I thought that everything would be okay. Then a black cat appeared, which I knew was a horrible omen. All right, guys, and that's now we've come to the terminal part of my quiz. That's the oh. end of the quiz. So way to go! You did, Thanks, you guys great, did very, John. Very well. Outstanding, Thank you, John. It's Martha Thank did you. it. She was great. We were great. We'll that talk to you again next work. week, buddy. All right. Bye. Talk to you then. Bye bye. Take care. This is the show about language and how we use it. If you've got something to say, give us a call, 877-929-9673. Email us, words at waywardradio.org. Find us on Facebook and Twitter and iTunes and SoundCloud, and I don't even know where. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Stephanie calling from San Diego. Hi, Stephanie. Welcome to the show. How can we help you? So I have a question. My uh, pastor was speaking in church the other day, and he was talking about this story in Genesis where um, Sarah and Abraham are at their house, and God actually comes in the form of a man, and he tells Sarah that she's going to have a child, or he tells Abraham. Mm -hmm. um, But Sarah is listening inside. So the pastor said that he was um, eavesdropping. And he realized that he said the wrong word. It was actually eavesdropping, but he always thought it was eavesdropping. So I was just curious if it was eve or eve, and if so, where it came from. So your pastor was saying E-A-S-E dropping instead of E-A-V-E-S dropping, right? Exactly. And I thought maybe it came from people sitting on eaves listening down. I wasn't sure, but I thought maybe there was more of a story to it. Oh, that's Mm -hmm. funny. I could see easily making that mistake, even in front of a crowd where you're you're practicing. (laughs) Because, you know, it's kind of easy to listen in on people. It's a common mistake. You'll actually actually find ease dropping in the Eggcorn database, which is a a list of of terms that people tend to mistake for legitimate terms. So you can find it. Just Google Eggcorn database and you'll find it. But eavesdrop itself is pretty interesting. There used to be a law or at least a rule or a custom to make sure that the space around your house was sufficiently wide so that when it rained, the drips wouldn't drip down onto your neighbor's property or your neighbor's house. And this zone around the, the building was called the eaves drip, D-R-I-P. It became over time Eve's drop, D-R-O-P, and it also started to refer to the place that you could stand where you were sufficiently close enough to the house to hear anything that was happening inside through the windows of the doors or maybe even by pressing your ear to the oh. wood. I don't know. And so in that way, the Eve's drop zone around the house became Eve's drop as in to listen in that space. Okay. Yeah, it's a little bit different than what I thought. <laughs> yeah, what were you thinking? Well, I was thinking people sitting on top of the eaves listening above. Oh, yeah, okay, mm. sure. 
but they're actually underneath where the water wasn't dripping on them. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a little pretty more hard, sneaky that yeah, way. Yeah, pretty hard to climb up on top the tiled roof and not be heard. Or seen, right? <laughs> or seen, yeah. <laughs> but to also sneak around. Sneak around I was window. imagining that scene in Aladdin, you know, where he's on top. There we go. Yeah, that's a good scene, right? Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So that's you's job. It's pretty cool. It goes back hundreds of years, too. Oh, okay. Well, thank you. Yeah, sure, Stephanie. Welcome, thanks for calling. Stephanie. Have a good one. Take okay, care Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that was a timely call, wasn't it? (laughs) Eavesdropping? (laughs) Why is that timely? (laughs) Because of the NSA? Yeah. They're listening. (laughs) (laughs) And you're listening to Away With Words, and you can call us, 877-929-9673, or send your questions in email to words at waywardradio.org. What do you call it when you're cleaning the snow off a car and you, your arms can't quite reach and there's this strip of snow left in the middle? Oh, that's fantastic. I never thought about that. Is it agnestis? No. What's that? I was thinking Ag- car hawk, but what is it? What are you talking about? <laughs> agnestis. It's it's the word for that place on your back that you can't reach to scratch. I, I can reach my Latin. whole back. I can totally reach my oh, whole yeah? back. I don't know what yeah. you're talking about. Oh, yeah, very yeah. limber. Yeah. That's a better word for it, but I don't yeah. think most people are going to know that. But if I said there was a car hawk left on my car, you'd probably figure that one out. Oh, a car hawk. That's yeah, even better. Yeah, mohawk no, on your car. Better. Yeah, the strip of snow you just can't quite reach. It's like, fantastic. You're like, you're like, ah, and you drive anyway, and it falls <laughs> yeah, off on the freeway. Right, right. <laughs> Share your language with us, 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, uh, hello. Uh, my name is Jack Eaton, and I'm calling from Jensen Beach, Florida. Um, I have been fascinated um, with Abraham Lincoln uh, and the assassination um, since uh, about the third grade. Um, and uh, mentioning that, a shout out to my third grade teacher, Joyce Pelosi, who's probably listening. All right, um, Joyce. I first read about the assassination, and there's a phrase um, which is pivotal to the story, uh, which when I first read it, uh, made no sense to me, and 35 years later, still makes no sense to me. You know, we're talking April 14th, 1865. Mm-hmm. Just after 10 p.m., the president, Mrs. Lincoln, Major Rathbone, and Clara Harris uh, are sitting in Ford's Theater watching Our American Cousin, uh, starring Laura Keene, who is a, a, a theater idol of the day. Uh, she's on stage with uh, Asa Trenchard, they're having an argument. Uh, while this is happening, Booth is waiting outside the door of the president's box. And he knows the play, and he knows that the next line is a big laugh, the biggest laugh in the play. And he's going to use the sound of the laughter to cover the sound of the gunshot. Right. Trenchard calls out to Keen and calls her, a sockdologizing old man trap. And that was my reaction when I first read it. It made no sense. I'm like, <laughs> why is this funny? Sockdologizing old man trap. I think the answer might lie in the play itself. Um, because the play, as you said, is Our American Cousin. And it's sort of like Duck Dynasty meets Downton Abbey or the Beverly Hillbillies meets Downton Abbey because it's this American guy who goes over to see these long-lost English relatives. And the long-lost English relatives are very uptight, sort of aristocratic. And he's this sort of, you know, countrified, rustic bumpkin from, uh, from the United States who says stuff like cow juice instead of milk. 
and that kind of thing. So he's always throughout this play using funny words like that that were kind of in fashion in the mid 19th century. Um, and so I'm thinking that it's not particularly the word sockdologizing itself. He could have used one of the other words from that period, like gosh bustified or catawampshus or something like that. It's just a sort of pseudo-sophisticated speech in the mouth of um, somebody who's really not so sophisticated. Does that make sense? Okay. Uh, in, in the context of the play, uh, does sockdologizing have a meaning? Well, it means, um, I, in the context of the play, I'm not so sure, because a sockdologer is, is like a, a definitive final blow. The term may come from boxing, like uh, the sockdologer is the punch that knocks you out. Oh, Okay. That could kind of make sense. I can I can see that if he's he's you know calling a woman that where you know you if you're a man trap you're going to be the last one that he has maybe and I, okay <laughs> I hadn't thought about that, that. Could, okay but yeah yeah it, it could be that and it could be that he doesn't even know what the word means I mean he uses words in that play like absquatulate and uh, which means to leave. Um, and and so I think it's just just the idea itself of um, putting two really really different characters together and uh, and seeing what happens. It's sort of a basic comedic uh, strategy. Oh, okay. Well, that that uh, that that's a better answer than I've gotten in thirty five years. Oh well, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Outstanding. Well, Jack, we hope you go away happy then. You might look up the play. It's online, and and maybe that will give you a better feel for it, too. I will definitely do that. Okay. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. You know, Grant, another thing that's interesting about that whole story is, you know how we were taught in school that John Wilkes Booth leaps to the sage, Mm -hmm. and then he says, Six Semper Tyrannis, you know, Mm -hmm. thus always to tyrants. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some eyewitnesses said he said something different, like the South is revenged or something like that. And also, there are those immortal words, now he belongs to the ages, we were taught that. Mm -hmm. Remember when Lincoln dies across the street in the bed, and, Mm -hmm. and, and that guy says, now he belongs to the ages. But there was a fascinating article a few years ago in the New York suggesting that the phrase was actually, now he belongs to the angels. Ah. It's a really interesting piece by Adam Gopnik. If you're interested in this kind of thing, I would recommend looking it up online. Cool. Give us a call, 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. Grant, how about another riddle? Okay. A man leaves home. He goes a little ways and turns a corner. He goes a while and turns another corner. Soon he turns one more corner. As he's returning home, he sees two masked men. Who are they? Ooh, nice. I love this. Two masked men. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What's after the answer? After he's turned all those corners, after he's left home. He's turned all these corners after uh-huh. he left home. And he comes back to home. And he sees two masked men. I don't know what who. What are they doing I there? I don't know. Who is it? They are the catcher and the umpire. Oh! He's playing baseball. <laughs> nice! Love it. Totally suckered. <laughs> <laughs> Give us your riddles, your best ones. 877-929-9673 or email words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi. Uh, my name's Paul. I'm calling from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Welcome, Welcome to the show, Paul. What can we do for you? I have a question about the word dude. Dude? I've 
Dude. D-U-D-E. I've noticed that uh, college-age students use it as a unisex word. So in the days of my youth, I graduated uh, high school in 86. It was primarily used to address uh, uh, a man. Um, but now I've noticed that girls are calling each other dude. And I wonder, when did that start? Are they calling each other dude? Are you sure that that's what they're doing? I am positive. In uh, fact, I've, I've talked I've, to them about it. And oh, you have? They just shrug, shrug it off and say, oh, yeah, I've, I've always done that. The reason I question that exact way that you put that is because there's a type of usage called evocative usage where you kind of just get someone's attention, usually at the beginning of a sentence. Like I might say, hey, buddy, move your car. I can't get out of my driveway. That buddy is evocative use. And this is the dude that is primarily used by young women to refer to other young women. They'll say... Dude, you've got to buy that dress. Okay, so they're so, addressing. Them. So they're addressing yeah. them. It's and it's the pretty much the, about the only place that you're going to hear a lot of people, a lot of women using "dude" in that way when they're speaking to another woman. So it's not so much about calling them a dude. I mean, you could you 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 could maybe make a case for that, but it's mostly about getting their attention, putting something at the beginning of the sentence that says, "Pay attention to what follows." Hmm. So. Um, we do a lot of this. Man, I can't believe I got another speeding ticket. So that man is doing that job, that vocative job. Boy, you're job smart, there. Grant. Yeah, there we go. Exactly like that. Um, say some more of that. I like that. <laughs> what they're probably not saying is like, I went down to the, to the record store with these three dudes, and they were Mary and Sue and Joan, right? When you put it that way, it does seem that it is being used in the evocative sense. The only stipulation I may have to that is in doing my own research, I noticed that it was cited as uh, being used by females in less than zero. The novel Mm -hmm. that uh, came out in the 80s. And in that context, it was used by a daughter addressing her mother. But now that I think about it, that may also have been in the evocative sense. If you want to completely nerd out on this, and this is, a, uh, this is an activity that we heartily endorse uh, at all opportunity, in 2004, Scott Kiesling, who was at the University of Pittsburgh, published a paper in the journal American Speech titled Dude. And it is literally about dude and this use and many other uses. And he confirms that young women are using dude, but only in the vocative sense. That's they're, so interesting. They're not, saying, um, they're not saying that women are dudes, and they're not ungendering it. They're stri- strictly using it to get attention. I see. Well, that that clarifies things a great deal. It's 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 been bugging me. So watch for that, Paul. Let us know what you think. We'll do. Thanks a lot, guys. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Our pleasure. Dude uh, shows all the signs of being, like, cool, which is the word that will never leave never, slang ever. but continue to be used. Yeah, Just you think. constant slang. But, of course, in the 60s and 70s when people said man, where we say dude a lot now, mm-hmm. maybe people then thought that man would continue forever. It's just really uncommon today to have somebody say, man, um, that's an awesome dress. Oh, I think maybe I do, but <laughs> <laughs> but I don't use dudes. Really? So. A woman like you yeah, in her 30s? Yeah, would, no. I know, mm. I know. He said he graduated in 86. I'm thinking, hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I'm thinking, too. And He's only two years older than I am. <laughs> <laughs> what have you observed about language? Call us about it, 877-929-9673, or send it an email to words at waywardradio.org, and we are all over Facebook and Twitter. <laughs> smacking moment the other day. I always love this. When when you look at a word and you never thought about where it comes from. Okay. Drawing room. Did you ever think about that? I guess um, that's two words, but it's a term. 
I never... No, I never did. I always assumed they were drawing tea as they, you know, kind of you could draw tea to pour it for your guests. That's what I was thinking. Like drawing. No, what is it? It's short for withdrawing room. Oh, I so see. The, I know, right? You step away right? from the dining room while the, exactly. the staff clean up the table. Exactly. Oh. Yeah, or the women do all the work or well, something yeah. like that. But but yeah, isn't that interesting? Yeah, that's room. that's outstanding. Yeah. Learn something new every day. Ding, 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 ding. Sometimes more than once. <laughs> <laughs> Email words at waywardradio.org. Find us on Facebook and Twitter and iTunes and SoundCloud. <laughs> More of your questions and stories about language. Stick around for more of Away With Words. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. A few weeks ago, we talked on the show about text tattoos, the fact that more people are getting tattoos that have words and letters Mm -hmm. on them. And um, we asked people for their stories about that, and we got some really thoughtful responses. A lot of the text tattoos that people are getting tell a kind of story. You know, people get them when they're at a turning point in their life, maybe a breakup or a move across the country. And another thing that I found interesting from these emails was the fact that for a lot of people, as these text tattoos accumulate, they start to tell a kind of story in different languages. We heard from Patience Ataya, who was originally from Ghana, but she moved here as a small child. And one of her tattoos is her traditional Ghanaian name, which is Akosua. And she said she got that because it's a beautiful name, but it doesn't show up in any of my official documents. Mm-hmm. And then she has her name spelled out in Arabic letters. And the reason that she has Arabic letters uh, for her name is because her husband is from Morocco. And she said, I didn't want to put his name on my body, so I chose something representative of both of us coming together. Mm-hmm. And then she has lyrics from a song that really spoke to her in Spanish. And uh, she also has her father's initials with his birthday intertwined because he passed away in a car accident. And she said, this is my way of always keeping him with me. Hmm. And so they were really personal stories, you know, really touching. And we also heard firsthand from a tattoo artist. Uh, His name is Joseph Wittenberg, and he's out here in Temecula near San Diego. Mm -hmm. And he said that text tattoos are now about 25% of his business. Most of them are names and song lyrics. And Joseph himself has a text tattoo. He put one on his thigh. He has a tattoo just above his knee that says, Rachel, will you marry me? And what he did was he was wearing shorts. He went down on one knee Mm -hmm. and he pulled up his (laughs) shorts so she could see. The, the proposal. Yeah. yeah. And it's still there. Yeah. Did he, yeah. did he put a yes in afterward? <laughs> yes. Or something to that effect. I can't remember what it is, but he actually got news coverage. You can actually go on YouTube and see him pulling his shorts up to show her the proposal tattoo. on his yeah. leg. Yeah. Isn't that sweet? <laughs> yeah. I guess. That's serious, right? Serious? I don't know about sweet. <laughs> well, you know, I think that's it's a that's, commitment. I was going to say it's a commitment because he didn't just say, will you marry me? He said, Rachel, will you marry me? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Anyway, I love how personal all these stories are, and we love hearing your personal stories about language. You can send them to words at waywardradio.org or call us with them, 877-929-9673. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, Martha. My name is Steve from Fort Worth. Hi, Steve from Fort Worth. And uh, I have a question about the word cute. Um, I'm I'm English, as you can probably tell. Mm -hmm. My mother was from the Midlands in England. And uh, 
she had a very different usage of the word uh, use of the word cute. Uh, when my mother used it, she meant somebody was was uh, sly or shrewd, like a fox, and it was definitely not a compliment. Hmm. Um, and I was just wondering. Uh, I sort of have adopted that, and I will occasionally use it, but my mother and I are the only people that I know have ever used the word in that context. And I did look it up in the dictionary, and yes, there is a definition shrewd, but I've never heard of anybody else use it in that context. And I was just wondering, is it in usage, common usage in that context, or what? how was the transition made? What was the original usage as opposed to the modern usage, meaning that something is you know pleasant or attractive or... All good questions, Steve. All good questions. And there's a bit of a story here. The usage that you and your mother have is old-fashioned, but it does exist in pockets here and there. By a huge amount, cute meaning um, adorable or attractive is the winning definition of cute these days. But it used to mean shrewd, and that actually is the original definition. It was shrewd or or clever, and actually it meant acute, and this is where we get the word. A-C-U-T-E was the original term, and through a process called aphesis, we dropped off the A, and it just became cute. And it slowly changed over time and went from meaning um, perceptive or keen or shrewd to meaning um, on point or exactly what you want, and then it went from meaning exactly what you want meaning something that was appealing and then something that was attractive. And here we get today where it means something just, just a little adorable. That is the Japanese say is kawaii, just very cute little big eyes, big head, round cheeks. <laughs> right. So there it is okay. in a nutshell. Crazy story of okay. cute. But you and Thank your mother you. Do, not... do, you, do you know if it is in use? If it other is. people do use it in it various is. regions? Absolutely. They absolutely do. You are not alone in this. It's not common anymore, but you will find it in certain regions of the U.S. and the U.K., um, you've got to look carefully for it, though, because it's the kind of thing once people realize that their use of it is out of fashion, they might kind of withdraw that use and only use it when they feel like they're around people who also use it. Well, I've heard people say, don't get cute with me. It's a similar use. Yeah. yeah. The, 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 it's, it's a meaning of cleverness. Yeah. 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 So it's just like an acute angle, like a sharp angle. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you very much indeed. Great help. Cheers. Great information. Thanks, thank you. Thanks for calling, Steve. Thank you, Steve. Take care now. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Call us with your language questions, 877-929-9673, or send your stories about your close encounters with words to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Oh, hi, Grant. This is Hugh Alt in Newton, Massachusetts. Hi, Hugh. Welcome to the show. Hello, Hugh. I have a query about quarry. A query (laughs) about quarry. Okay. (laughs) I recently went to an exhibition at the Boston Museum of Fine Arts here, and saw the watercolors of John Singer Sargent, who was an American early 20th century painter. And one of the features of the exhibit was a series of stone quarries in Italy that he he had painted with lovely pastels and colors. And then I subsequently went to a museum at the McMullen Museum at uh, Boston College, where I teach, and they had an exhibition of Gustave Courbet, who's a 19th century French realist. And one of his most famous paintings is entitled The Quarry, but that's a depiction of a fallen stag after a hunt. And my wife, who's an art historian and docent, admired the artistic styles, but I was struck by the linguistic question of the two different meanings of the same word, and I thought it might have a Latin root, 
Martha, that's in your court. Oh, I'm thrilled that you asked about this because there are two different words here, actually. It's not Uh the same quarry. And the one that has to do with excavation goes back to the idea of a place where stone is chipped and shaped. And so you're, you're making things at right angles out of that. And it goes back uh-huh. to a Latin word that, that has to do with four. You know? uh-huh. Oh, that's fascinating. So it's like quatre in French. Exactly. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. the other quarry is really interesting. And if you know French, you'll find this especially interesting. And I'm fascinated that it was a painting of a stag because um, in Middle English, the word quarry referred to originally the guts of an animal that are given to dogs after the hunt. Uh-huh. And um, they traditionally were spread out. You would kill the animal. You would disembowel it. You would skin the animal, too, and put the skin down on the ground and put all the guts there for the dogs to devour. And if uh-huh. you know French, you know the French word for skin or hide, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Queer. Queer, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, 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 that's, the, and this is, that was actually... The French title, the original French title was Curé. Oh, okay. I think is related to the explanation you had. Yes, exactly. So there are two Uh, different quarries here with with really picturesque images behind each of them. The second one actually is also related to the English word excoriate. If you uh think of skin or hide, you know, originally Uh, that uh, was uh, (laughs) to skin or flay somebody. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, that's very, very interesting, and thank you very much for your help. Thank you, Hugh. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You know, another interesting word coming from the whole idea of deer guts, of course, is humble pie. Humble pie? Yes. The old word for the innards of Mm -hmm. deer um, was numbles. Numbles? Yeah. So you would would make a numble pie, Ah. and a numble pie eventually... Mm by misdivision, mm-hmm. became a humble pie. Interesting. Very yeah. interesting. Why do you know so much about guts, Martha? Um, you know, You're a gutsy gal. <laughs> Maybe that's, that's it. it. <laughs> Call us with your language questions, 877-929-9673, or send them an email to words at waywardradio.org, and find us on Facebook and Twitter. an Apache proverb I like. Okay. It goes, it is better to have less thunder in the mouth and more lightning in the hand. Ah, yeah. Do more, say less. Yeah. Mm, Yeah. I've never heard it put that way. Say it again. Yeah. It is better to have less thunder in the mouth and more lightning in the hand. Very, very good. Thank you very much for that. 877-929-9673. Hello. You have a way with words. Hi. This is Kate. I'm in Wyoming. Wyoming. Well, welcome to the show. How can we help? Uh, my father used to say, he was an old cowboy born in early 1900s, and he used to say when something was ended or finalized, um, that's all she wrote. That's all she wrote? Yep. That's all she wrote. What did he mean by it? Well, and like, I found myself saying it yesterday, like, if you were finished with something, or I was feeding my dogs, and I gave them some treats, I said, that's all she wrote. And I thought, oh, I just said it. There's <laughs> no like, more, Like, when right? you finalize something, or it's the, at the end of something, that's all she wrote. And mm-hmm. um, I'm an Eng- I was an English teacher, and I, have, I can't find the source of that anywhere. It's interesting that your father was an old cowboy. There was a famous song in 1942 by Ernest Tubb called That's All She Wrote. 
And it was just a couple oh. years. Yeah, yeah, it's just a couple years prior to that that this term appe- first appears on the scene, and it's typically couched in the language of a woman writing to her lover and saying, "It's finished. I'm done with you." And in in the tale telling, imagine a man in a barracks talking to his fellow soldiers, reading the letter from his love. And she says, right. dear, dear John, it's literally mm, a Dear yeah. John letter. Dear John. Exactly. I was going to say, like yeah. a Dear John letter. I'm and you sorry, know what? I've... I think I have heard that song. There we go. I'm sorry I've met another. Years, but I didn't. I didn't connect the two at all. Yeah, he's reading, Dear John, I'm sorry I've met another. It's finished between us. And then he looks up to his friends and says, that's all she wrote. And so it's he's done. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's over. <laughs> and uh, it's it's hard to say how influential this song was, but it certainly was a big enough hit that it could have had an influence. And by the time World War II was underway for Americans, it was fairly widespread and it was a common catchphrase. Well, wonderful. I and and when was when was the Ernest Cub song? Nineteen forty two. Forty two, yeah. okay. I'll remember that. Well, thanks for calling, Kate. Well, thank you for all your information. It's wonderful. And I'll get online and look up Old Ernest. There we go. I think you can find the song right. on YouTube. Take care now. Take care. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. 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 Have we talked about Gaby on the show? Uh, the Gaby Boom? Yeah, Gaby sure. Boom. Yeah, yeah These are the... that's been around for a while. Okay, yeah. I just wanted to talk about it because it's. It turns out it's got a lot of history and it's like it's lasting. A Gaby oh, yeah. is the child of a gay couple. Sure. Yeah. So you've got the Gaby Boom, which is like the rise in gay couples adopting kids or having their own kids and raising families. Yeah. Gabies. Mm. Gabies. So it's funny because when that word first came along, I thought there's no chance this is going to take off. Oh, really? It's too cutesy, a little too clever. Uh-huh. But you find it now without any kind of like remarkable offsetting by quotes or italics or any kind of explanation really in just a wide variety of texts. That's the sign of success for a word. If you've got a word that you came across and you want to make a prediction about its success, let us know. 877-929-9673 or email words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Jay. I'm calling from Boston. Jay, hello. How you doing? What can we help Hi. with? Well, um, I was calling to ask about sports idioms and figures of speech, and to be more specific, um, how they translate or how they are analogous in different languages and cultures. I'm a cab driver here in Boston, and I hear all kinds of languages in my cab, and I had a Brit and a Yank in the back, and the Brit says to the Yank, uh, and that was, uh, I can't believe we got that meeting. That was an 89-minute goal for sure. And the American guy says, what? And I said, uh, he means a Hail Mary. And the guy's like, oh, oh, I understand. So, you know, I'm just curious, things like we say in the ballpark, do they say, you know, on the soccer pitch? Um, you know, some things probably translate well, some things don't. You know, when we, people talk about quarterbacking a, a meeting or something was a home run, do they say, oh, that was a wild sixer? <laughs> you know, how does that how does that translate and how how does that get treated in other languages? Oh, other it, it totally depends on the sports idiom. Some of the baseball terminology, some of the baseball idioms have actually made their way back across the Atlantic, like home run, and you will see them pop up in speeches and in newspapers. And, of course, the, the Brits know that they're American and, and decry them, but it doesn't stop them from taking their place in the British English. Others are completely untranslatable. Um, you've, uh, you have some great examples here. These are, are wonderful. Yeah, an 89-minute goal, so, so that takes the whole match a, almost, a right? soccer f- football game is... Is ninety minutes long, right? right? Okay, yeah. so at the last minute, yeah, you pull, yeah, pull it out at the last mm-hmm, minute. Mm-hmm. 
So it really depends on what we're talking about here. Some of this stuff doesn't come back either. Americans might have heard that that's not cricket, meaning that's not uh, the mm-hmm. way things are done, but we don't probably use that. And I think the British, because of their exposure to American television, have a lot of that going on. They'll understand it through context, but they wouldn't use it themselves. I'm curious if the soccer analogies are more universal because the game is played more, whereas some sports that are very American, like baseball and football, you know, just just... Those, those would not travel or translate well, I'm sure. It's true, but sometimes the idioms can travel without the sport. Um, quarterbacking mm. shows a little signs of having done that, uh, just where it's kind of separated from its origins and lives on its own without having to be associated with the sport. That's what's happening to some of the baseball language. Mm-hmm. It's not common, but it does happen, and we can find it. It's just the... The, the cross-contamination of these different English dialects is too huge. We watch a lot of their media, listen to a lot of their media, same same for them of ours. So we just, it's too much going back and forth. Um, there, and there may, by the way, be an equivalent to quarterbacking. It's not that common, but if you talk about um, Thursday morning tippy-tappy, that's kind of like Monday morning... <laughs> Monday morning, yeah, Monday morning quarterbacking. Wait a minute. Now, I don't know if this is a real thing that people use, but it did come up in one of my lists here. Um, I made a note of it. So tippy-tappy refers to like just kind of light passing back and forth on the on the soccer pitch, right? Mm. Um, mm. And then, um, so Thursday morning tippy-tappy is to talk about all the kind of like bad plays of the night before. So presumably Wednesday nights are the big football nights over uh, there. Yeah, I don't know. I, I have no idea. But that, this is what I've uncovered. I don't. I'm not very well exposed to that language. I thought it was really, really a nice phrase, though. So here we go. Thursday morning tippy tappy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, sure. But you know, it's a really good question, and it sounds like you are uh, in a great position to bring more questions like this to us. We'd welcome your call in the future. Okay. okay. We'll do. Great. Very good. Right, Thanks thank for calling. You. We really appreciate it. Take care. Bye bye. Take care. Bye bye. Yeah, there are lots of these great sports metaphors, like up stumps. Do you up know this one stumps? from crickets? Is that crickets? Yes, no? yes. You What's abandon the game. Oh, so we, you we yank up, them up? Yeah, yeah. We up stumps and move to Dublin or something up like that. Up stumps and move to yeah. Dublin. Yeah, and then there are great ones in um, other languages as well. Certainly in Spanish, um, there are a lot of soccer-influenced mm. phrases like um, transpirar la camiseta, which means to um, make your jersey really sweaty, which means uh, that you worked really, really, really hard. Okay, very good. Very, okay. very good. And um, that, that appears outside of a soccer context. Yes, yeah. yes. Okay. Or, or to score a goal from midfield. It's sort of like a Hail Mary pass okay. or something. Very good. We'd love to hear your sports idioms that you think are untranslatable, particularly if they're from outside the United States. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. Things have come to a pretty That's all for today's broadcast, but don't wait till next week. You can join us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, or SoundCloud. And check out our website, waywardradio.org. You'll find a dictionary, a newsletter, mobile apps, and a discussion forum. You can also listen to hundreds of past episodes free of charge. Leave us a message anytime at 877-929-9673. Share your family's stories about language or ask us to resolve language disputes at work, home, or school. You can email us. The address is words at waywardradio.org. Our senior producer is Stephanie Levine. The show is directed this week by Mark Kirchner and edited by Tim Felton. We have production help from James Ramsey. Away With Words is independently produced and distributed by Wayward Inc., a nonprofit supported by listeners and organizations who believe in lifelong learning and better human communication. We're coming to you this week from the Recording Arts Center at Studio West in San Diego, California. Thanks for listening. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. Take care. Sayonara. You like tomato and I.